once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. As the first stone set in the foundation of a building, cornerstones determine the position and orientation of the entire structure. Everything else flows from there. Lead teacher Randy Pope continues the series The Church with the first part of this message entitled A Priesthood, which covers 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 9. For more information and to watch or hear other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Well, we've all met this person more than likely as a young child. This child happened to be maybe physically beaten, certainly emotionally raped, told they were worthless from the earliest memory, found themselves thinking they could never be successful because they were told they would never be successful. As older teens, they become now very inferior in their own minds to others around them. They battle that continuously. They're convinced that they're unlovable, though they're not. They have no confidence. They find themselves driven by success or by acceptance, doing things, whatever it takes to get attention and to be able to be seen the way they want to be seen. It's just a It's a story that we've all seen. Some of us have experienced that. As adults, unless rescued, self-destruction takes place relationally, morally. There's stories that we hate to see, hate to tell, and hate to use to describe our own lives, but it is true. It's true of many. The greatest hope that a person in that condition is going to find is is a safe community that routinely dispenses the things needed, such as unconditional love, encouragement, support, guidance, that teaches the truth, that models good values. What I'm really doing is describing a microcosm analogous to our society because the reality is we live in a day where there's a secularistic storm. It's it's all around us. It's uh, hitting our shores at gale force. It's doing much destruction. And really the only hope in this analogy for a people who are being hit by such force, being told what we're hearing, which is not true, believing things that aren't true, is we need to find a community. I like to think of it as a royal community where we can come together and find those things, find that biblically-based, healthy, attractive community. We call it the church. It's never perfect, far from it, but in this day and age, it is where, and it always has been, the place that we have to go to find that which is most needed. In thinking about this, I want you to look at the series that we're doing on the church. A church uh, series now is a seven-week series. We went through three weeks first as I taught. I taught on the subject matter of the church's authority. Uh, There was response very unusual during those few weeks of people coming up to me often saying, I've never heard this. I didn't understand this. I didn't know. I didn't realize that there really is a God-given authority. We turned our attention last week as Caleb began the last four weeks of this series talking about the church's nature. There, instead of being in the Gospels where we were the first three weeks, now we turn to 1 Peter. In 1 Peter, we learn that first, as Caleb taught, the church is a family. Now, this week and next week, we'll give our attention to the fact that the church as a priesthood. We really are a priesthood. We need to understand what that means, but it's very, very important. We'll go after the break for Christmas. We'll have our Christmas, uh, you know, where we'll give attention to the Christmas story and so forth. And then the week we come back, 
That'll be the last week of this series, and then we will talk about the church as a people. Now, I usually don't do this, but uh, from time to time, I like to demonstrate just what we all must believe, and that is the honor that should be given to the Word of God. And so, at least this time, let's stand up together as you hear the Word of God. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 4, And coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value, then, is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieved the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, for they stumble because they're not, they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Folks, this is the word of God. It really is an infallible word. Hard to imagine until people study to understand how could that be. It seems ridiculous. It is a word that's been given to us that is, is God's means for, for faith and practice, for us to live every day by. We believe it is the word of God, and upon it we build our lives as Christians. So with that, let's take our seats and let's dig in the text. I'm going to reread the text to you, oddly enough, because I think you just had the experience that I have in most of my devotions, my personal time with the Lord. I have my text, I read the text, I finish reading the text, and I think, what did I just read? <laughs> I have no clue what I just read, but I read every word of it, and I was trying to understand, I don't know, I just didn't quite, my mind drift, didn't, I didn't hear it that well. Maybe from time to time I might I might find a, a commentary and, and read just a little bit about what's really being said there, and then I open it, read it again, and all of a sudden the, it jumps out, it comes alive, and I say, wow, I, I didn't see that. I, didn't, I missed a lot there. So I'm going to give you a, a brief commentary, and it's just a statement. It's what I did after looking at the text, thinking about it, saying if I had to summarize this and put it in one statement, a primary teaching, what is that primary teaching? How do you make something so complex become a little bit simpler. Here's the statement that I would give. The residents of this royal community are considered stones which comprise a spiritual house designed for priests and priestesses to offer up spiritual sacrifices to God. I'll read it one more time. The residents of this royal community are considered stones which comprise a spiritual house designed for priests and priestesses to offer up spiritual sacrifices to God. Now, this is written by Peter, the apostle. He's using an analogy of a building that's made up of stones, and he talks about the, the cornerstone, which is Christ himself. Those of us who are true Christians, we are living stones, as he will talk about it. And it's just an analogy that he's building to help us understand what we do and who we are. And so I'd like to read it again, and I'm going to pause from time to time and make a few comments, not many, 
And then we're going to go in and very quickly look at the text and make sure we kind of get what he's really saying here. So let me read it again, beginning in verse 4 of 1 Peter 2. And coming to him who is Christ, as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You, meaning Christians, you also as living stones, just like Jesus is the living stone. We, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. This is not a physical house. It's not a church building as we think about it. It's an analogy. Why? For a holy priesthood. What's the house for? It's for priests. To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Then he goes to the Old Testament. He's going to go to Isaiah 28. He says, for this is contained in Scripture, meaning this analogy has already been used. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, that's Jesus, and he who believes in him, Jesus, will not be disappointed. I'm going to come back to that little phrase, will not be disappointed, very important. This precious value then is for you who believe. The word there, believe, means trust. It's putting full trust, not intellectual belief, but going beyond that to where we put our trust in him. But for those who disbelieve, for them who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. That means for those who don't believe, this stone Jesus that becomes for us the cornerstone of the church becomes a rock of stumbling for those who disbelieve because they're disobedient to the word and to this doom they were also appointed but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood a holy nation a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light now when we get to verses 8 and 9 that's where we'll kind of move into more next week But this first analogy is what is so very, very important to us. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to just, again, run through the ways that Jesus is described, making a comment about one. Here's number one. In verse four, it says he is a living stone. In verse four, it also tells us he's rejected by men. We also learn in verse six, a precious cornerstone is how he's described. And also in verse six, one who never disappoints. I want to pause there. He never disappoints. I ask you, Christian, can you say that? Do you say, you know what? My Jesus, my God, he never disappoints me. Never disappoints me. If you say that, I'm assuming that you're not being truthful or you haven't really lived yet. You believe God's sovereign? Do you believe he's in charge of all things? If you do, look at your experiences of life. How many of you say, well, this is what God's done in my life. He, he allowed my so-and-so to die he caused, you know, because of his choice and his, you know, this is what happened. And, this, and, and frankly, I'm very disappointed. I bet all of us at some point in our Christian pilgrimage, if we're honest, we say, I am a bit disappointed in what God has done. I'm following him, but I'm disappointed. It's not what I wanted. It's not what I thought. I believe this would happen and this happened and so forth. And we build our case and say, it's, it's very disappointing. But of course, we come to church and we say, well, yay, Jesus, and we love you and so forth. But deep down, we're saying, I'm disappointed in you. 
This is not telling us that, hey, you're not going to have any life circumstances that God ordains that's not going to disappoint you. But I'll tell you this, when all comes to be, you know all things, you're going to look and say, you have never disappointed me. As I've often said to many of you and myself in the greatest of trials, if we can just part the curtains and take a peek into eternity and see the mind of God, what God is thinking, why he does what he does, we'd be saying, yea, God, thank you that you did it no other way. The point is, when all is said and done, there'll never be one of us here that'll ever see Jesus and say, you really disappointed me. We're going to say, yea, God. He goes on in verse 8. He says he's a stone of stumbling for those who disbelieve and also in verse 8, a rock of offense. Touch on that just a bit when we close. But as the Christian is described one time in verse 5, we're viewed as living stones. So there's the analogy. There's all the words that come out. Now, it's interesting. This must be so important that there's another apostle. You know his name is Paul. Paul is teaching the Ephesians. He comes to chapter 2 in verse 19, and he uses the exact same analogy. Isn't it interesting? This is an important concept, I guess, for both apostles. said, people, you that I'm ministering to, you got to understand this very critical principle that I'm teaching. So here's how he says it, beginning in verse 19. He says, so then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Now, he's going to describe this household. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being, and he uses the term cornerstone, just like, just like Peter's been using. In verse 21, he says, in whom the whole building being fit together is growing into a holy temple. He's using the same analogy, a temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. So it's the very same concept. So he's saying this, okay, you're a Christian? then you are a stone. You're a living stone. It happens at the minute that we're born again. You are born again. You are a living stone. You make up this building, God's building, at that point. And he says, very important that you understand who you are and then as a result of that, what we do. So I'm going to make two primary teachings. The first one this week the second next week. It's very brief. Number one, every Christian is a priest or a priestess. From now on, I'm just going to use priest to refer to male and female priests, but every Christian is a priest. Now, next week, we're going to learn a second very important teaching out of the text, and that is every Christian is to offer sacrifices. Now, I'm only going to go into the first, but I want you to see the order of these two. It'll give you an insight into the Word of God. What you will find continuously through Scripture, God always begins with who we are and then follows it by what we do. It's never the other way around. It doesn't begin with, here's what you do, and you do this, and this is what you become, here's who you are. It's the other way around. It's what He does first, 
He says, you need to understand what I've made of you when you get the right view of yourself. You see who you really are. Then you begin to understand what you do. It becomes the great motivator for what you do. And so if we don't understand that we're strangers, we're aliens, we're pilgrims, if we don't understand that we're stones of this very important building that's designed for the priest and the work of priests making sacrifices, we'll never understand how do we offer sacrifices. If we do start offering sacrifices, don't understand who we are, we'll get it all backwards. It'll be a works theology. Always begins with who we are. So let's look at who we are. Every Christian, number one, every Christian is a priest. I'm going to do a little, a little uh, play, let's play a game, uh, I'll call it a word picture game, whatever. I'll name an occupation and then I'd like for you just to picture what you see when I mention it. Just a couple of them. First of all, librarian. When you think of librarian, what do you see? I bet in your mind, you're probably seeing a middle-aged, maybe a little older woman. And what does her hair look like? She's in a bun. Why is it when we think of a librarian, she has a bun? I don't know. But we do. That's the librarian. Now, you may be a librarian. It's a wonderful occupation. And and doesn't mean that's what you look like. But that's what we think. And no one would think of themselves as a librarian unless that was your occupation. That would be a, a given. When you think about a dentist, first thing that's going to come to mind is going to be a mask. Maybe he has a, a jacket or she has a jacket, or a white jacket. I don't know. But, but we get this stereotypical picture. This is the, the dentist. And we think of that. Well, now, we may be a dentist and you think of yourself as a dentist. But if you're not a dentist, you're not going to think, yeah, that, that, that's kind of like me. I'm kind of like a dentist. No, you're not. We're not. Let me ask you this. What do you think about when you think of priest? When you think of priest, you think of maybe a a little bit older man. You you think about uh, someone who, you know, is dressed in in robe. You know, I I don't know. You, You picture what he has on his head. You picture, you know, what he's holding. I don't know, but you see this priest. How many of you would ever think, hey, that's me, I'm a priest. You don't think that way. And it carries over into all of our life because we can't see ourselves as a priest. I mean, I remember a little boy coming up to me one time and he said, can I ask you, is it, are you a priest? And I'm thinking, I don't really know what to say here because I know kind of what he's asking and I'm not sure, but there is a reality in which if anybody should be thought of as a priest, it's me, I'm a preacher. And I'm named Pope. I mean, my goodness gracious. You, you think everybody's, okay, of course, I think of myself. No, I don't. When he said, are you a priest? My first thought is, no, I'm not a priest. But then I had to think, no, I am a priest. In reality, I am a priest. And you're a priest. Every one of us who are real Christians, we are priests. And if we don't think of ourselves as priests, we're never going to function and act like we're priests. So we've got to change our thinking about, well, what is this that really is a priest? By the way, if you go back in church history and you begin to see, do you know that there have been countless numbers of people who have given their lives, have been martyred for the sake of trying to teach this reality? 
If you go back in the history of the church, it is a lost teaching. It's been lost for centuries and centuries, in part a great reason for the dark ages as we know it. We think of the Reformation. We're a church here who honors the Reformation. There would not be the Protestant church as we know it without the Reformation. Very important. Not that we would put down any that are of, of Catholicism, but they're great, great differences. And part of it has to do with this very issue. And the Reformation came along to say, look, we've got to give the Word of God and the work of God back to the people of God. That was the, that was the grand effort. You see, the Word of God was in Latin, and it was for the priests to read. It was for them to interpret. It was for them to dispense. And whatever they say, that's it. You have to believe that. Reformation comes along and says, hey, hey, whoa, 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 don't, don't think that just because you're hearing it from priests, it's right, and you need to know the Word of God yourself. You need to see, is this what the Word says? It even says that we should be more noble than certain ones that, that we're not looking at the Word themselves and trying to find out what it really says. And so there was this grand effort, and for, in a major way, it was successful, the Reformation was successful, giving the Word of God back to the people of God. But it failed totally in giving the work of God. And maybe total is too long, strong a word, but, but it really did in great part. It failed in giving the work of God back to the people of God. And that's the reason that in very good churches otherwise, great churches preach the word, believe in the infallibility of scripture and all the things that, that we would hold to here. But how many people in those churches, even as some perhaps in this church would say, you know what? I haven't really been ministered to unless it's by the pastor or a staff who's ordained. That's the only ones that can truly minister to me. It's an idea as if, well, no, they are the priests and I'm, I'm the one who is the laity and I should be ministered to by the priest as if we're the only priests. Not true. I'm going to take a page out of our new members teaching that I've taught now for these 41 plus years and I've taught it from very day one and some of you have recently been through most of you haven't but recently been through or going through now new members class so this will be very repetitive to you either in the recent past or the coming future most of us though it's been years and years and years or others have never gone through it maybe won't go through it I know many that listen to this on podcasts that will never go through it so I just want to retell this illustration and story you see, when we were a young church, when we started, well, actually, it was just Carol and I when we started, and we built a small core group, but most of the people were brand new and didn't, you know, weren't equipped that well and so forth. We didn't have a lot of old, mature Christians among us. And so, you know, I pretty much had to do nearly everything. Well, Carol and I, she would do the nursery, and she would do music, and she would do, you know, uh, you know, We'd have refreshments and whatever it was, and she'd take care of that. And I'd do the preaching, and I'd do the, the junior high work and the senior high work. And I was just, I was, I was like a full-time priest. Did it all. And then we realized that now we've got to, we're getting more people now, and we can equip and train, and, and therefore we've got to change the mindset here real quickly before this gets rooted in us. And so I began to teach the priesthood of all believers, I did it repetitively, over and over and over and over. Every new member comes in. Okay, you got to learn this. You are the priests. You're the priests. 
We call it every member a minister. So everybody's got a minister, not just me. And I realize I'm not the, I'm not the sole guy, and I'm not the best guy to do most ministries because we all have gifts, we all have differences. Well, I started noticing as the church started, you know, when it started off, everybody who was a male showed up, if they were adult, they showed up in a, in a suit. I'm not just talking about coat and tie, sport coat. I'm talking about a suit. And most of us would have a vest on too. This was the 70s, so you wore a vest and you wore a suit. That was just the way it was. Well, it wasn't long before I'm the only one in a, in a suit. Everybody, the men are now dressing down a little bit and they're wearing a sport coat and just a tie. And I realized, oh, it's not going to be long before I'm going to be viewed much differently than everybody else. And so I took off my suit and wore just a sport coat. They took off their ties, I took off my tie. They took off their jacket, I took off my jacket. They started wearing polo shirts, I started wearing polo shirts. Carol kept saying, men, please don't wear shorts to church. Don't wear shorts to church. <laughs> now, by the way, I can make a, an argument, not biblically, but practically, of the value for dressing up at church. What time would we want to honor? And, and, and we stand because we, you know, we're honoring. And, and, well, that'd be very appropriate. Not inappropriate for sure. Nothing biblically requiring it, but there was something that I thought far more important to try to demonstrate, and that is this. There is no difference between what's here and what's there. I love church architecture. I met with our architect, and we just spent who knows how much time. And I'd talk, and he'd write, and we'd talk and do... Think about the chapel, what that chapel would look like. Do you notice there, there's not much furniture there? There's not much pulpit furniture? Look what we use here. I said, I want something that is so, as little visible as possible. I don't want it to be that I'm back here, the people are there. I don't want to use the word you, I want to use the word we. I find myself, as I teach, I, just to make the point, I'd say, I'd say, let me tell you some of the things that I'm going through right now, and, and I'm struggling with this and this, and people come up to me and say, by the way, be careful, you know, you're our pastor, we got to hold you up, don't, don't tell us too much, you know, I say, are you kidding me? <laughs> let me tell you, I'm struggling just like you, I'm a, I'm a pilgrim just like you, it, it's not that I'm clergy and you're laity, we are all the same, you have gifts, I have gifts, our gifts are different, we're good at different things. Don't hold me accountably good at, at all these things and me not. No, let's just say, what are our gifts? What's God called us to? Let's get equipped and, and, and let's all be ministers. And that became the theme of our church in big, in big part. Nothing's changed. It's that important. I tell the story in membership class about a man named Joe. And Joe came to our church with his family, a young family, three children. The oldest was a daughter. The other two were boys. The daughter was you know, maybe junior high age or whatever. And, and, and he came to faith when he came here. Uh, he came from a church, though it had a similar name to ours with the word Presbyterian in their name, coming from a different state, and it was a different type of church. It was a different body of believing churches and so forth. And he didn't have the truth of the gospel until he came here, and his, his life changed. Man, he was, I use a little picture of a circle here. Now, he was in the middle of that circle of the world, I mean, he was a worldly man. He would tell you he was a worldly man. He'd made big money, he'd lost big money. He'd made big money, lost big money. He was this, that, and the other. But, but when he became a Christian, it didn't all change overnight, but this foot came out of the circle, which is what should happen. It does happen when you become a real Christian. It doesn't mean that this foot is going to come out with it. And that was a challenge, and he's dragging that thing, trying to get it out, and he's struggling, and he's honest with his struggles. And then he went through a life tragedy. 
His daughter, who had gone to Norcross High School, graduates in her first semester at the University of Alabama, going to a away game, is killed in a car wreck. It just took his heart. This was his little girl. Many of you have experienced loss of children. There can't be pain that's any greater. And that pain just broke him. And I remember watching that leg as it just kind of scooted toward the edge of that circle. Because in his mind, he's saying, that's my little girl and she's in eternity. I, I don't want to think of life. I want to think of eternity. It just changed him. Then it wasn't long after that, not long at all, that he had another tragic diagnosis. This was a diagnosis of a, a health issue and found that he had cancer and it was so far gone they couldn't really do anything. They give him some chemo, but only to give him a little bit more time, but it just, it was not good at all. And so with that, you watch that foot. And I mean, it just came swinging out. It was like, why do I want to invest in this world? Why would I do that? My daughter is there and I'm headed there. I want to invest more there. By the way, you know we're all dying, don't you? Right now. Why don't we all do that? But it was a life impact for him. And he came to me and he said, Randy, I haven't got much time left. I'm still driving. I still have enough strength I can get around from day to day. Please use me. I don't really know how you could use me. But I want to be used of God till the day I die. I said, okay, Joe, I'll take you up on it. Well, long after that, that I got a phone call, which was not atypical for me, being a church that was getting a lot of attention about some of the innovative things we were doing, though we were still very small, people from outside would hear or read about us, and they'd say, well, he's a small church pastor, he's got plenty of time, so they'd call me to help out. They'd say, hey, I'm pastoring in such and such a place, and I can't get to Atlanta, but maybe once a week, I've got a, a member of our church, and they're in the you know, at Emory, and I, could you go visit them uh, each day? That would, I can get there maybe weekly, but if you could just daily stop by and, and, you know, pray with them and whatever and so forth. And they've totally thinking the, the priesthood of the priest. It's got to be, and I'd, and I'd say, well, and my typical answer to that was this. I'd say, I cannot tell you that I will personally do that, but I will have someone equipped who can and will, gifted to do so, and I can, I can have somebody to do that. I actually had one pastor who said this to me, if it's not ordained clergy, don't send them. My member will ask, and it will not be meaningful to them if not. And I'm thinking, do you understand? You don't even know me. I'm a lousy pastor. You, I mean, I'm not gifted to pastor. I never have been. I, I know that. I'm a pastor teacher. I can teach through my, my te I pass through my teaching and all, but I, I'm not a great pastor. And there we got these incredibly great pastors in our church. Men and women alike who are just, why wouldn't you let me send one of them who would do a good job instead of them be happy with me doing a bad job? It just doesn't make sense to me. But anyway, this one pastor called me and he said, fine, just send somebody. I said, well, what's the condition of the patient? Well, He's actually an older member of our church, and he's, he's dying of cancer, da-da-da. That's all I said, and I said, okay. And I thought, well, who better than Joe? So I called Joe. I said, Joe, you want to be used, you said, so I got an opportunity for you. He said, oh, good, what is it? Can you go to the hospital, and, and, and could you serve at the hospital just kind of being a, a pastor to this man who's dying of cancer? He says, well, I, I'm happy to do it. I, I'm not sure I know what to do. And so, boy, then I said, well, I'm an equipper, and I need to equip you, so let's get together, and I'll equip you how to do that. And I explained it. It was very simple. He goes, well, that's pretty, that, I can do that. That's not a problem. So he goes to the hospital, and he does so. Well, he comes rushing back to my office. He says, Randy, 
You told me he was dying, but what you didn't tell me, he's dying in the next day or two. And what you didn't tell me is this man's not a real Christian. I could tell from talking to him. He thinks it's all about works, and he doesn't understand about Jesus. And Randy, you need to get down there and witness to him before he dies. Well, of course, you know what I said. I said, Joe, you don't have to be ordained to witness. He said, what do you mean? I said, you got to go witness to him. He said, man, I really wouldn't know what to do there. I mean, that, that's way out of my league. I go, that's my fault. So let's get together and I'll equip you. And so I did and I helped him understand how he could share the gospel and what that meant and so forth. And he goes, oh, okay, I'll give that a try. So he goes down there and he goes the next day and the next day and the guy dies. There's no story of salvation that I know of. Who knows? But he caught me in the foyer of the church after service and he said, Randy, I've made a decision. You should never, you should never go to hospitals. <laughs> I said, why not? He said, well, because you had just gone once to see that man. And I went back the next and the next day because I didn't have near as much responsibility and so forth at this time. And I, could, I was free to do that. And I could, I could give a lot more attention than you give. And then he said in his own kind of way, he said, and I really think I did a better job than you would have done. <laughs> I go, oh, good. I didn't hurt my feelings a bit. I'm going, yeah, love it. Well, it didn't end there because one long after this, I get a phone call from him. And I can tell desperation on his voice. I said, what's wrong, Joe? He said, my next door neighbor has just called me. His wife, 38-year-old couple, she had just fallen dead, been pronounced dead. And he didn't know where to turn. And he turns to Joe. And he said, I, 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 don't, I don't know what to do. I, I'm a total at a loss. I don't have a church. I don't, I don't have a pastor. I, wouldn't, I don't even know what to do now. And Joe, we were last week, my wife and I were driving together alone without the kids. And we were talking about Jessica's funeral. And it was so different. It was such hope. There was such, well, that's because it was of a believer. But said, he said, my wife said then, if I die before you do, would you contact Joe and find out if his pastor still lives in Atlanta? And if so, I'd like for him to do my funeral. He said, I didn't take much note of it then, but he tells Joe, now, she just asked last week or so, would your pastor, would he do my wife's funeral? He said, I don't know, I'll call. And so he calls me and said, I'm asking you a big favor. I know you don't know the family, and I know you can't do everybody who has a friend dying and all, but would you please, in light of this circumstance, would you do the funeral? And I said, no, I'm not going to do it. You need to do the funeral. Oh. I mean, it's like the phone drops. Joe, where are you, you know? <laughs> Joe comes back. He says, no, 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 no. I'll, I'll go to a hospital. I'll leave him with I'm not, I'm not doing funerals. I will not do a funeral. I said, well, that's too bad because I'm not going to do it. And now you're his friend and you're not going to do it. And so, man, <laughs> this guy's in tough shape, isn't he? <laughs> Did I ever tell you I have the gift of mercy? I don't know if I ever. <laughs> but he goes, he says, you can't. I said, yeah, I can, Joe. You need to do half of it. I'll, I'll do this. I'll do half of it if you'll do half of it. I'll be there for you and with you. I'll equip you. But then you do your half. I'll do the other half. Well, with that, he had no, no bargaining chips left. And he said, okay. Uh, you know, here's a guy that's been in corporate America in a big way. And I'm sure just as bold and confident. And you could just see his hand quivering. And he was so nervous. Let me tell you, when it was all said and done, there was no doubt who did the better job. 
He ministered in a way that only a friend could minister. There's the beauty of the priesthood of all believers. You think a priest is going to know the congregation, everybody, every detail, everything? No. But you get in as a stone among other living stones who are all priests and ministering one to the other. And it's a whole new dynamic. Totally new dynamic. Next week, we're going to talk about what do we do. Okay, we minister, yeah, broad story, but, but, but it says here in the text that now we're stones, living stones, with Christ the cornerstone, so that we would make sacrifices. People say, well, the sacrifices are over now. No, they're not. They're going to be defined in a different way. We'll see it next week. I think it's going to be a great understanding to now what we do as living stones. So let me conclude saying, seeker, know that Jesus is the cornerstone. With him, you will not be disappointed. To those here who are not believing up to this point, you know, Jesus really is a stumbling block because Jesus is the one who says, I want to reign over your life if I'm going to be, if I'm going to be your, your savior. I reign over your life. And we press against that and say, I don't want anybody reigning over me. I want to reign my own life. I want you for religion, but I don't want you to reign over me. It's a stumbling block for many. But it also says, for those appointed to doom, if they don't, I think we've lost the understanding that there is a priceless eternity that's real. And he will not disappoint. I hope you believe that. I hope you'll run to the cross and see what Christ has done. And I hope you, in seeing that, would realize that he'll make you different. It's not just make you do different things, but it'll make you a different person who finds themselves wanting to do different things. That's the gospel. Christian, I'll give you a few reminders in the podcast. I've got three statements that kind of underscore what all I've taught. I'm not going to take the time here to read them. If you want those, you can find them there. Might, might even touch on them next week. But Christian, if a living stone, one, be declared as such, become a member of the church. Go back and listen to the first three weeks. You'll understand why. But be declared as such. Come into covenant relationship with the church. And then number two, which will be next week, let's begin offering uh, sacrifices. We'll talk about what that means. I'll tell you what I've asked that we can do, and that is that we can have a church-wide communion next week teaching will be brief we're going to all go to the table in every venue because I think the only way we understand the sacrifices we give and find ourselves longing to do so is we understand the great sacrifice that he made which the table pictures and so come prepared next week to come take the table if you're a seeker come and watch and see what and why we do what we do at the table. It'll be an important time. Living stones, you are needed. As a part of this house, let's be priests, every one of us. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for a teaching you've given us through two of your apostles just to remind us who we are and what we need to be doing. And I pray that we make grasp who we are. God, let us see that we are priests. May we think of such every time we think of ourselves. May we see ourselves 
as we go to work, as we play, whatever we're doing, as priests offering sacrifices. Grant that we ask. Thank you for this day. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day. Thank you.